Thanks for that song, Kyle. It fits very well with the title and with the message that I want to share with you guys today from Hebrews 10. I would love for you to join me there, as I say every week, I guess. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Usually what we do is, is stay right there in the passage, and we plan to do that today. I'll refer maybe to one or two more. But I'm looking forward to just kind of camping right here, camping out right here for a few minutes with the writer of the book of Hebrews. He's, he's talking to a church that needed so desperately to be encouraged. And I want to encourage you today. I hope that this can be an encouraging time for us all as we reflect on our relationship to God or reflect on our relationship to the church, you know, to one another here at this place. It's a good church. Um, I'm honored to be a part of a congregation here where we can mutually encourage one another and uh, build one another up in our, in our faith. Uh, the background of the book of Hebrews is that some of these folks were starting to struggle a little bit with their faith. We don't know exactly what was going on in the background. You know, they were, they, I don't know, they were struggling. They were starting to step away from it a little bit. And it could have been because of persecution. It seems like they were starting to experience some negative consequences of being Christians. And that may have been something that was going on, and that would make anybody at least... At least uh, it, would, it would make you consider, I don't know if I, if I really want to be a part of this church in a public kind of way. It's going to bring about negative consequences to me and my family. So that may have been something that was going on. Um, but for whatever reason, these Christians needed desperately to be encouraged in their, in their faith. And in our text here, uh, Hebrews 10, if you're, if you're looking at it, it is the conclusion to a long section. I'm going to try to summarize that long section for you a little bit. He does it a little bit at the beginning, but I want to try to summarize it so that we know what he's dealing with and what he says. When it says in verse 19 of Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter and so on, there, <clears throat> there are a couple of clues here that that's the conclusion of something. That he's, he's finishing something up. Obviously, the word therefore is a pretty important marker because he's telling us that he's been talking about something that he wants us to think about. And he is, in fact, if you go back, we're not going to do this, but if you go back to chapter 4, you may want to do this on your own time. <coughs> Hebrews 4, he uses very similar language here. And he uses two of the same Verbs to the same imperatives where he says in our text, let us draw near. You go back in Hebrews 4 and you'll find that same language, let us draw near. Let us hold fast, verse 23. You go back to Hebrews 4 and you'll see that he used that same exact language there. Let us draw near, let us hold fast. And then he goes into all the reasons why we need to do that. And then he comes to this. And he says... I want to emphasize strongly to you guys that based on everything I've been telling you about Jesus, this is what you need to do. Now, there are three things. This is a very simple message here, and this is a very simple text to outline because what the writer does here is he, I mean, he, makes, it, he makes it really easy for us, and the English translations are really good here. Verse 22, I'll just go ahead and show you what they are, and we're going to study them a little bit more closely, but verse 22, let us. See that there in your Bible? Let us draw near. That's the first one. This is, uh, this is a grammatical construction in the original language that, is, that carries the weight of an imperative. In other words, do this, all right? Let us, it's kind of like, it's... Um, let us do this, but it's actually a little stronger than that. It's not just 
well, you know, this is something. Let's, let's go ahead and do this. Let's, let's maybe consider doing this. No, the, the construction's stronger than that. It's more, like, it's more like a polite way of saying, you guys need to do this. I want to make sure that you do this because this is very important. So let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And then verse 20, that was 23. 24, let us consider. So those, those three reflect an underlying kind of emphasis here that is threefold. But I want to tell you, before we, even before we get there, that the structure <coughs> is positioned in such a way as to build toward the last part. And so everything in this passage is kind of heading toward what he's going to say in 24 and 25 because he is saying, because of this, this is what you need to think about. This is what you need to do. Okay, let's go through the text here. Let's think about what it means to the church at Hoover. All right, and I hope that maybe God will use it to encourage us all. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, I want to skip on down to verse 22, and then I'll go back and tell you what he's talking about. But let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That's the first one. Let us draw closer to God. You know, he's talking to people who there was, there was some distance there. They, were, they had been close to God. They had been close to the community of believers. But because of things that were going on in their lives, there was some distance there. And he's writing this letter to them. He's saying to, to, to them, set it back in chapter 4, and he's, he's bringing this to a conclusion here before he segues into a new discussion. He says, we desperately need to draw closer we need to draw near with a true heart. And then he says in the previous verses, 19 through 21, he says, here's why you need to do this. And he's been talking about this for six chapters. You need to draw near to God because of who Jesus is and what you have in him. Now I want to summarize. That's what he's doing here. I want to summarize really what he's been talking about for six chapters. Here it is. Really the whole book, especially these six chapters. He's talking to Christians. All right, we're... Most, most people in this room, most people joining us online right now are Christians. And he is saying to them and to you and to me, you have something that is priceless in Christ. You have, you have something that God has done for you that, that is un, incomparable. And, and he, in, in the last six chapters, what he has shown us is that God has provided for us now this way of approaching Him that is unparalleled in the history of the world. Um, and, he's, and He's drawing on some language from the Old Testament. You remember some of the things in the Old Testament, um, some things like, well, this is what He's talking about, I think, specifically. Remember the tabernacle that God had them build in the book of Leviticus, for example, in the Old Testament? It Later, that was a, that was a kind of a temporary structure that they could pack it up and move it and reconstruct it, you know, as a tabernacle. Later, when they got settled in Jerusalem, they built the temple, which was a permanent form made out of gold and silver and all that. Important thing to remember is that in the tabernacle and in the temple, it was a way for God to live in the midst of His people, right? The tabernacle. And so it had a room on the outside that was called the holy place. And, and in it, it had some things. Uh, it, it had a candlestick. It had a table with bread on it. And a priest could go inside that room every day to do what he was supposed to do. 
take care of religious things. The innermost room in the tabernacle, in the temple, was called the, home, the most holy place, the holy of holies. And it was a perfect cube. And in it you had the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant you had the two tablets of stone on which God wrote the Ten Commandments. You had the mercy seat. You had this angelic creature that had been crafted out of gold. The wings came out to the side and stretched up toward God. That was called the most holy of holy, or the holy of holies, the most holy place. And you only went into that room once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only one person could go who is the high priest, and only after he had prepared himself with very specific instructions, he could come into the Holy of Holies. Because you know what that room represented? That's symbolically where God dwelled. And you do not enter the presence of God as an unholy person, otherwise you will die. You do not come into the Holy of Holies. You do not come into the throne room of God as a sinful person. You do not do that. It's just, you know, God is very specific about this. And so there was this distance. It's a very important concept for us to, us to get, get in our heads. There was this distance. They had the tabernacle, but they had to keep away from it. Can't get too close. And that could come around the perimeter, but nobody went inside the holy place, not, not a non-priest. And certainly you didn't go into the holy of holies. There was distance between you and the presence of God. But what he's been doing in our, in our letter here for six chapters is he has been showing us that because of what Jesus has done, we now can come into the very presence of God. You remember um, on that Friday when Jesus was crucified <clears throat> that a number of things happened. Sun didn't shine for a time. There was a great earthquake. And very importantly, symbolically, that earthquake, you may remember, it tore the veil in the temple. Remember that? That veil was a very significant curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, the earthquake came and it ripped that curtain in two. And you know what that, you know what that meant? The Hebrews writer tells us exactly what it meant. It meant that Jesus Christ, through his body, and the text here says, through his flesh. See verse 20? By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. At the death of Jesus, the earthquake, the curtain went away, the curtain was torn, he opened through his flesh, through the death on the cross, he opened up access, very access into the throne room, into the presence of God. And that's the argument he's been building for six chapters. He says, and he comes to the end of us and he says, therefore, let us draw near. There's no need for you to be separate from God. You don't need to have this distance between you and God because you can come right into the presence, right into his presence. I mean, that's an awesome thing to think about. I, I don't know. I think you and I, because of where we are and history and, and many of us grew up in Christianity and grew up in the church or whatever, 
And, uh, and I think we have a hard time appreciating how big of a deal this is. Because I don't ever remember a time when I didn't really, <clears throat> at least in my house, you know, we, we prayed to God all the time. And it was always just kind of assumed we could talk to God whenever we wanted. And they could talk to God in the Old Testament. But this thing that we have now through Jesus is unprecedented. I mean, there, there was this, <clears throat> it was very intentional on God's part. There's this intentional constant reminder that you, because of your sins, cannot come into the presence of God. You cannot even come into the Holy of Holies. But now through Jesus, you can come into God's presence as a person who is fully accepted because of the body of Christ, because of his flesh, because of what he did. So he's been building on that. We can draw near. Verse 23. We can hold, hold on tightly to our faith. <clears throat> you see what he's doing, right? They were, there was were some distance with them in their faith. Distance between them and God. They were struggling in some ways. And so he, he builds all this up and he says, we can draw near. Brothers and sisters, we can, we can draw near to him because of what he's done. Don't neglect that. And then he says, number two, we need to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful because that way has been that, that that opening has been given to us and we can access the throne room of God because of that we need to hold fast this thing <clears throat> the uh, Christians to whom he was writing as I mentioned they for whatever reason their faith was struggling a little bit and he starts off the letter in chapter 2 by saying, don't let this thing slip away from you. Now, can, can I ask us just for a minute as a matter of practical application to us all, whether you're here online or here physically in the building today for us to engage in self-examination. I think, as I mentioned at the beginning and Clint mentioned in his prayer, this has been an awfully difficult time in the last 18, 20 months, in so many different ways, right? There are people in this room who've lost loved ones. But right now, I'd like to ask us about our faith. Can, can, I, can we be self-reflective for a minute and ask ourselves, if we had to draw this out spatially, as far as our relationship to God is concerned, where are we now? as compared to a couple years ago. Where, where are we now as far as our relationship to God is? Because I think the answer for many of you would be <clears throat> that my faith is stronger than it's ever been. That God has shown me his glory in the past couple of years in ways that I hadn't seen it before. I've, I've drawn closer to, to him. I, I love him now more than I did then. And sometimes that's what happens in difficult times. You know, it does happen. Uh, it, it causes us to re-examine our lives. And, and maybe there's, there's been that, uh, that that's COVID and everything else has been kind of an impetus for us to look reflectively at our own lives and think about our faith and think about what really matters, what really counts. And we've, we've been strengthened in the realization that, man, this world is passing away and, and, and we may be really smart medically and scientifically, but there are things in the world, so many things in the world we can't control. And it's made us realize our own helplessness in so many ways, Right? And we've, we've, been, we've been drawn closer to the throne of God. But I think the answer for some of us might also be that we find ourselves in a different place 20 months later. 
<clears throat> and it could be because of various experiences that we have. It, it, it could be a ton of different things, but, but we find ourselves today, and if we're being honest with ourselves, we might have to say, you know, I need these words from this writer here because I am not as near to God as I was a couple years ago. That I'm not holding fast the confession like I was two or three years ago. That it's not as special to me. It's not, as, it's not, as, it's not where I wish it was. Whatever reason. And so he's encouraging us, man, hold on to this thing. You have something incredible. Do you understand what you got? Do you understand what it means to have access to God through Jesus Christ? You have, do you understand what it means for that veil to be torn and for you to be invited into the presence of God, fully accepted, fully forgiven, fully justified, and accepted based on the merits of Jesus Christ? Do you understand what that means? Hold fast. You cannot let stuff going on in the world to cause you to lose hold of the only thing that ultimately matters. Because God is faithful. You know, God is faithful. And then it comes to this, and I mentioned to you earlier, that in so many ways, there's some grammatical hints here, and there's a, there's a structure of the book as a whole that leads us to this point. And and, and I think he's getting very practical here. And I know that Hebrews 10, 25, I've probably used it this way. I know it's been used as, a, as an instrument like a, to bludgeon people, to, to guilt people in. You know, you, you, uh, you, better, you better come to every service or your faith is not what it ought to be. Or, you know, you, you, you miss one of five services during a week and, and, and whatever, that says something bad about your faith. And I don't think that is a good way to read this passage. He's dealing with people's hearts here, really. That's what he's been doing for a long time. But he comes to verse 24 and he says, okay, you're gonna draw near and you, you need to hold fast. But his, but his emphasis here at the end of this is, and that is really hard to do if you're disconnected from the body. Really hard to do. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You know, as I mentioned earlier, Christianity was always, always a communal thing. You go back to the very first part of the church in Acts 2. <clears throat> Thanks, Chad. <clears throat> you go back, to, uh, go back to Acts 2. And you remember, right after the church began, in Acts 2 and in Acts 4 especially, and Luke is chronicling the growth of the early church, he grounds it in their commitment to being together, right? And so um, if, you, if you, look at, you look at the history of Christianity, the history of the church, it was always meant to be lived in community with others. Always. Now, let me put a little asterisk there and go down here and let me, let me give you a caveat. <clears throat> a couple of them, maybe. Every one of us has an individual relationship with Christ. We don't only have a corporate relationship. We don't only have a relationship to Jesus through a corporate experience, a, a, a gathering kind of thing, right? So, so we all have an individual relationship with Christ. This is a relationship that you can foster wherever you are. You can, you, can, you can engage in this 
community, this, this, this kind of relationship with God, this communal, not really a communal experience in that sense, only with you and God, but you have this private experience with God wherever you are, fishing, on a creek bank, on a golf course, right? Wherever you are, at work or school, driving in your car, you can have this relationship with God. You can pray to Him always. You don't have to be here to pray. You don't have to be here to worship. You can do that anywhere. <clears throat> so there's a sense in which the, I think the Bible honors a personal relationship with Jesus. It's characterized by constant devotion wherever we are. And so that, that comes into play with, you know, Jesus saying, find your, find your place to pray in Matthew 6. Find your, find your private place to pray. That's just you and the Lord, you know, talking. And so it's important to acknowledge that part, right? But I think, I think in Western culture, in, in American culture, we, uh, we have become, over the years, not just America, but other cultures similar to ours, and, and especially in the Western world, very individualistic. It's, it's very individualistic. Like, there's, a, there's this kind of, Trajectory. We've been talking about some on Wednesday nights in, in, in our class here. There's a trajectory in America that is more toward an individualistic experience of religion and not an outward one, not a corporate one. And so it's more like, I want Jesus, but not the church. You know, you know what I'm talking about? What's going on? I, I just want me and, all I need is me and the Lord. All I got is me and the Lord. I don't need the church because church is messy. And you know what? Yeah, that's true. Church is messy. Church is messy sometimes because it's got people in it like us. And it's got, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have, it's going to have struggles. It's going to have, you know, we all have issues, right? And you bring us all together and we've got more issues. <clears throat> so that's, that's, what, that's what happens sometimes in churches. And so I, I think there's a tendency in some, and to be honest, I think COVID has expedited it a little bit. What was already happening two years ago, what was already happening three years ago, has been expedited, it seems, in that COVID kind of created the situation with churches not meeting, and there were things going on, you know, um, especially last year, and, um, and, and this experience that we had and decisions that we made <clears throat> to promote health and to promote respect for one another and for the community and all that, wise decisions, but nonetheless, it has, I think in many ways, kind of expedited in some, a disconnection from the body, a disconnection from the church. What was already happening three years ago, I think uh, some of the things that happened last year in 2020 and on into this year, uh, not only COVID, but other kinds of experiences in our culture has created this kind of distance with some and a separation. So we were already, if you get what I'm, if you get what I'm talking about here, we were already on a bit of a trajectory. And then COVID came. And then there were some who... There were, there were some, there are some, I'm sure, who have experienced a distance between them and the church as a result of the last couple of years. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of those folks were already going in that direction before COVID and it just kind of sped it up a little bit. I don't know. But it's a scary thing, honestly. It's a scary thing when, when, when people may be stepping away from God. And I, and I think the message that he shares in chapter 10 is one of encouragement to people who might find a little bit of distance between them and God. Don't you, don't you remember, don't you understand how you have this relationship with God that is so incredible, founded on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You've got this opportunity to be close to God and, and then in that same text here, right, the same paragraph, you see the connection here. He says, 
somehow that drawing near and that holding fast are connected to what we're doing now. Do you see that? I'm not making this up, right? I mean, it's, it's, right, it's right. There's a connection. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And let us encourage one another in those two things. Let's do that together. That's what he seems to be arguing here. Encouraging. He's not saying, I want to give you another thing to, another thing to check off on your box of things i got to do to be a good Christian. No, no. He's, that's not what he's doing. There's, there's, there's not a whole lot of that in the New Testament where he says, okay, you know, you gotta, you got to check all these boxes. It's not that sort of thing. He's saying, because you love one another and because you want all, you all want the same thing, you all want to draw near, you all want to hold this confession close. But we got to do that together. we got to do it together. And so he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. I was reading in this um, one of the commentaries that I enjoy uh, reading, and um, the writer said, I think he's kind of responding to this tendency in some, maybe some of us, to take Hebrews 10.25 and, and, and use it as a, as a weapon to guilt people or whatever into coming to church. <clears throat> and he says, and, I, and he's right, that's not what this text is about. <laughs> this text is about the heart. You know, this, this, text is about, this text is about respecting and loving one another, you know, and what does that look like? But anyway, he says, uh, he says, we as Christian leaders... And let me back up one, one sentence here. I'll just read you about four sentences. The principle behind this part of the author's challenge, however, has to do with consistent involvement in the life of the church rather than frenetic activity in all the programs of the church. In other words, you have to do everything. There's no, there's no way nobody in this church is involved in all the different activities of the church. So he's saying that's, that's not what this is about. I continue the quote. We as Christian leaders must not burden people with a guilt trip if they're not at the church five nights a week. Then he says this. The question is whether they are meaningfully engaged in the life of the body on a weekly basis. Are they involved in worship? Are they being educated through preaching and teaching of God's word? Are they ministering, exercising their spiritual gifts? Are they experiencing Christian fellowship? We should teach these aspects of healthy Christian living and allow the Holy Spirit to show them how these are to be lived out consistently. And, and I, think he's, I think he's getting it right there in, that, in, that sta in those statements because he's saying this isn't about, you know, you gotta, you got to do everything, but, but it's more about are you connected to the body? That's the question I think we all have to ask ourselves. Are we connected to the body? Have, have, have things happened in the last 20 months or so that have created a distance between us and God and that distance is sometimes manifested in a disconnection from the body in attending worship and being involved in whatever's going on in the life of the church. So that this passage really is addressing a heart thing that has to do with are we being involved in the life of the church? Are we encouraging one another? Here's a, there's, like in this passage, like in so many other passages, there's a one another emphasis here. And I think what he would say to us is, to all of us, is what can we do to help one another in our common struggle? You know, can I, can I, ask, can I ask you that as well? What can you do 
Just pray to God about this and ask God, ask God to help you to, to see what the answer is. But what can you do, whether you're online or here physically right now, what can you do? What, how might God use you to encourage this church? We all want the same thing. We want to draw near to Him. Man, we want to hold this confession close. We want to encourage one another. What can we do? What can we do to help that happen? To promote, to stir one another up, to love and good works. He says, not neglecting to meet together is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And, and maybe that, that, there's a lot of debate about what that day is. Is it the coming destruction of Jerusalem? Is it is that final day? I tend to think that what he's, what he's looking ahead to is, is that, that final day when God's going to make all things right, when Jesus is going to return, everything's going to be made as it was supposed to be. And I think he's looking ahead to that final day. And maybe, and this is, this is perhaps true in our current experience, is for us to reflect on Maybe God, maybe one of the things God wanted to accomplish in the last year and a half for us, because it didn't catch God by surprise, you know that. Remember we talked about this back in March of last year? We don't know what the future holds, but we know that this didn't catch God by surprise, and God can use this experience, whatever it becomes, He can use this experience to teach us some things that we need to learn. We talked about that a lot last, last March and April, a year and a half ago. So maybe God wants to use this, has been wanting to use this experience to help us to focus more on that day. That day that's drawing near. This world is temporal. It's just passing by. And the experiences we've gone through lately, maybe they have opened our eyes to the uncertainty of life here in this world as it is with all of our advancements and everything that we can do and everything that we understand about the physical world now, and yet we still find ourselves helpless in so many respects in the presence of things that we don't even fully understand yet, right? And what should that do for us? I think it should cause us to realize that that day is drawing near and we all the more need one another to encourage one another, to lift one another's spirits, sometimes to admonish and correct one another. And we're, we're, we're in a time where we can do so many things virtually. And aren't you thankful for that, the way that we can use virtual tools to do good? And there is, I think it's been wonderful how we have been, off, been able to offer this virtual kind of worship, right? But I think people who worship virtually, inevitably, indefinitely rather, there will inevitably be negative consequences to that kind of experience, right? Because, even I've heard people say this before who haven't been able to come to worship because of health problems that they're having, that they have experienced negative consequences spiritually. And that's such a difficult place to be. So we want to encourage our congregation to encourage one another to be present when you can. And let's listen to what he says here when he says, man, the most important thing in the world is for us to draw near, for us to hold fast, 
and for us to encourage one another as much as we can in part of this common struggle that we have. If you're not a Christian this morning, I know I've been talking mostly to folks who are already in the church, people who are already Christians. But I hope that some of what we talked about this morning will encourage you as well to understand this world is passing by. And we have this wonderful thing that God has provided for us and He's opened up access to His presence through Jesus Christ. And that's available to everybody. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, right? What matters is, are you ready to come to Jesus Christ and say, I want to be yours. I want to be yours. I'm tired of this world as it is, and I want to be yours. We invite you on his behalf to come, confess that, be baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a beautiful thing for a person to experience what it means to be forgiven. And we invite you today, maybe you need to come back to God today, come back to the body today, ask for prayers today. We'll pray for you. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.